nihilism is really based on a lot of extrinsic beliefs, not intrinsic, but extrinsic meaning that something out there is going to give us that meaning. So it's a weird play on words because Mm -hmm. because people are extrinsically grounded, then intrinsically they experience no meaning in life. Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote in 1952, If we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Wilson suggested that if we could identify and continually surrender these unrealistic and unrealizable demands, that we may then be able to accomplish what he imagined to be the recovery's next frontier, something he called emotional sobriety. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger, who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's new frontier. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety, the podcast. I'm Tom Rutledge, and with me is uh, our wonderful producer, Patrick Newman, and Dr. Alan Berger. How are you boys doing? Well, you go first, Patrick. You're excited. You got some new equipment. Uh, mm-hmm. I got a new computer. Either one uh, was from like mid 2014. And I'm getting to the point now where when I have a new client with uh, 4K footage or 6K footage, I literally cannot play it back in my you know, older computer. This is a, this is a new dynamic because now technology an- antique, your antique computer, you mean? Right. And I'm holding yeah. on to the antique, but I got this new <laughs> thing because uh, I'm expecting to be doing a lot of work of uh, these next few years. And uh, really, this is the kind of thing because I, I, you know, in recovery, I've been a lot more frugal um, mm-hmm. and discerning with where I put my money, <laughs> but I figure this is a great excuse to just, you know, go hard. So well, this, is, this is this is a large measure. This is this is your career, too. It's like it's, you, you, you got to keep up. There's no, you know, Alan's Alan's. I think Alan keeps up with with technology as much as you do. But but, but there's no explanation for that because he's old. But you're 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 young. <laughs> it's a, it's like, it's like well, you make perfect sense. It's like this is, <laughs> you need to be doing this. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I, appreciate- Alan, I, mean, I actually, it does make sense because I think Alan just gets fascinated with stuff like this. Well, yeah, I do. But, you know, I, I love to see you guys can't see the smile on Patrick's face, but he's like a new kid that just came down and it's Christmas morning. He unpacked it and he has a <laughs> studio with a Samsung monitor. Yeah, and it's he, a- is, he is just tickled pink. I mean, <laughs> very excited, which is great to see you excited. And it kind of counters what we're going to talk about today. Um, you know, we're going to talk about nihilism and emotional sobriety. Yes. And um, maybe you couldn't have two polar opposites <laughs> or two things that are more polar opposite in one sense. And But, you know, but I think not. So this is why we're, I'm glad we're having this conversation. Dialogue. I think you not. Know, okay. yeah. You know, so we'll talk about it. But let me define nihilism for a minute because, you know, I didn't know what it was until I went to the dictionary. Mm-hmm. But, but it's that you find no value or purpose or meaning in life that, you know, I had a patient that said it really, really well. She summarized it and said, life sucks and then you die. Mm-hmm. Life sucks and then you die. I mean, she was completely, completely hopeless, despondent, did not see any. And the sad thing is, you know, she ended up taking her life, which a lot of people with nihilism do. 
is because they get to a point and they don't see any reason to live. They see themselves as a burden to other people and they just want to stop the pain. They don't want right. to continue anymore. So, so that's, I think, would we all agree that that's a, a good working definition of nihilism? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't, I know that the, the, we, we shouldn't just get into the whole, the, the minutia of the, the whole discussion that I, I think there may be some, I might have some differences in terms of what I, how I understand that, but I think that, I think, yeah, I think that's how it's defined. I you go to the dictionary. I went, I went to YouTube for my review today to, to find out about, about nihilism. Every definition said nihilism is, is this, the belief that there is no intrinsic uh, meaning uh, uh, or value in human human life. It's, it's in life. It's like, and I and I immediately, you know me, I'm always picking at language. Immediately, I'm going like, you know, I don't think value and meaning are the same thing. It's it's like you know, and I and I think the I think the thing that happens is that people stop, and I and I believe this is a big part of what we do just as therapist alan too is there is no uh objective meaning there is no um uh, other other directed there is no what we're saying what we're saying basically is that is it, it's not a belief in god it's like that's when you know when nietzsche said you know god is killed god is dead and we killed him it's like it's it's like it's victor frankel yeah yeah and the, frankel absolutely and and the thing the thing about it is is just because there is not, if, if we don't believe that there is meaning ascribed by something on the outside of us, and see, this is where the emotional sobriety comes in, is like, we, we live our lives, and we've been brought to of our lives is to discover the meaning, what is the meaning, and, and, um, and if, and if, and if there's no meaning that is, you know, and everybody competes for, uh, we have the right meaning, we have the right value, we have the right God. But if there is no meaning that is assigned by the universe or by whatever this is we're doing, then it becomes our job to create it. It's the Victor Frankl stuff. Exactly what you, you got. You were ahead of me on that, Patrick. And the idea that if you, if you're wondering what the meaning of life is, what does he say? It's, it's like, remember that you are being, you are the one being asked the question, right? What will the meaning be? And it's like, we get to create this meaning and we don't have to depend on somebody else telling us what it is. Well, see, I see that and I, you're right on with this and see, I, I, I think this is going to be an important direction that this takes. See, what you're saying, and I agree with it, is that nihilism is really based on a lot of extrinsic beliefs, not intrinsic, but extrinsic meaning that something out there is going to give us that meaning. So it's yes. a weird play on words because, mm -hmm. because people are in extrinsically grounded, then intrinsically they experience no meaning in life. Right. Yes. It's a tricky little thing that we're going to be talking about here today, because what we know, based on even what Frankel's discovery was in the concentration camps, even under the most horrendous situation where it would be very easy to become nihilistic, given all the stuff going on around you, is he found people finding hope in living, finding hope, finding a purpose to live. Even in the most, you know, horrible, horrific situation that you could imagine that another human being would experience. So, yes, so yes. it's a very interesting thing, because I was going to say that, too, is see, I think nihilism is the what happens 
when you are so emotionally dependent in life. Yes. Is that you keep looking right outside yourself for these answers and they don't yes. come. And instead of somebody saying, oh my God, what do we hear in the big book? Until I let go of my old ideas, the result was nil. These people don't realize that they're not seeing the world as it is. They're seeing the world as they are. Wow. Hey, and, the, and by the way, the, the, the nil versus, and of course we're talking about nihilism. It's yeah. like, it, you know, ab, absolutely. Well, yes. for me, for me, I've been doing a lot of doom scrolling uh, and on social media and scrolling. I like doom scrolling. Doom yeah. scrolling. That's, a new, that's a new hobby that Patrick is starting. He's going to have a group. Oh, an old, new, old hobby with new, with new technology. Yeah. New yeah. Technology. He can do it faster than ever. But yeah. tell what doom scrolling is, Patrick, because it's doom, a great term. Doom scrolling. And it's a, uh, it's a system that's been built by these tech companies that, in, and it incentivizes us to participate where you literally open Twitter or you open Facebook and you literally just scroll down the, you know, uh, column of mm -hmm. anxiety, hate, sadness <laughs> sometimes some joy you know like my twitter i think i i mostly just follow movie accounts because i'm a big movie guy and those are generally pretty positive you know most of the time <laughs> but uh what the frankel example is important because it's because it's such an extreme example of how the external circumstance that he was faced with was just so um annihilating that for him to be able to reach inside and find meaning so that like no matter what um crosswinds he was getting he was still able to wrestle some kind of value and dare i say joy from existing right. even if the circumstance was so bad and so i think like i just with all this that's happening with the supreme court with some of my expectations about living in a democracy and uh you know having some form of or, or organi organization that's responsive to the needs of the people and all of that kind of being upended and it's very frightening i have some inflexibilities about you know the reality of uh you know being a part of this country i have a dependence and um and i think that it's not it's not to say that all the stuff that's happening politically is um it's you know that it's wrong to feel depressed by it or to feel disappointed by it but i think that when it begins to manifest in nihilism about existence I think that there's something probably askew there in the way that I'm processing. Right. When, when nihilism, when nihilism takes, well, and I guess what we're, we're already, we're making it clear that when we're, that the, the problem, the, you know, very often is the case, the, the problem here is not necessarily just the belief system or, or the philosophy of nihilism, but, but when, when, when we interact with that and we take it to a place where we are giving up, we are giving up our own, our own choices, our own, our own sense of responsibility to, to do what we need to do for ourselves, um, which, by the way, includes doing for others around us, because what we're doing for ourselves, we're living according to our own value system. And each, you know, I know this of the three of us, each of our own value systems means that part, if we're doing for ourselves, we are, in fact, responding to the needs of others. You know, I don't want people because sometimes people can think we do, we got into that with codependency back in the eighties the and nineties when people go like, Oh, well, being codependent means I'm not supposed to give a shit what anybody else thinks. And, and not, you know, it's like, no, that's not, that's not what this is. It's a, it's a matter of, of it's about being a lot more, a, a much, much more thoughtful 
about what is important in life and what matters. And, and it's really about not dealing yourself out. Mm. It's not about not, you know, we don't tell people to not care about other people. We don't, I don't tell people to not, not, not care and not to respond and not do things for other people. I'm just saying, listen, we just, you just need to include yourself in that flow because that's, that's what most of us have in common when we look at self-care and what we end up giving up on we don't we don't even get into the place where we feel like other other people's we we get this really backwards thing where it's like other people's life look like they have meaning we think mine doesn't yeah you know we 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 single ourselves out you know that's why we call it negative arrogance it's not the good kind of arrogance it's the the belief that that we're special but not in a good way and if they think other people have it like what this client of mine used to say because yeah. they're all fooling themselves. They're all deluded. Yeah. Yeah. See, she, she thought she was the one that saw reality. Everybody else was kidding themselves. They were living a fantasy. Right. And that's the thing about this is that, you know, so it's very hard to be objective about our own beliefs. It's, it's impossible. Hard. We can't be. We, we can be more. I think we can be we can put a we can put a continuum on it. We can be more. Is that true? I'm not sure I'm right with the language, but more objective. And we can you know, I call it the, the, the I, I use the metaphor from uh, from uh, Pat, Patrick's world of film is like pan back. You know, the we pan back. We pan back enough to where we can have a, 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 broad, a broader sense of the bigger picture. And, you know, and that, and, and that's, and that's what allows for the multiplicity that we talk about in emotional sobriety is the idea that I can, I can, I can actually, you know, what the cool part about this is we can, we can each have, we can have a part of us that is, you know, completely in the most negative sense, nihilistic. Uh, I'm speaking for myself that just says, you know, fuck it all. You know, it's, it's like nothing, nothing, nothing I do is ever going to make a, a, a bit of difference. I can have a part like that in there. And once I understand that that's not all there is to me, that there are other parts, there are other ways of looking at things and there are other perspectives, even within my own consciousness, then I've got something to work with. You were, the, you were you were saying something else, Patrick. I, oh, no, I just wanted to throw a couple things out there. Uh, one is that, you know, this ties into my addiction I'm aware of as well, because um, when you're drinking nihilism and kind of finding things in the world that will reinforce your sense of nihilism is a good way to keep yourself picking oh, my, up, my picking alcohol, up drugs and alcohol. My yeah. alcoholism would it would be, would promote nihilism to me any day of the week. I mean, just, right. you know, what difference does it make? What You know, why not? What the fuck? Why don't we have a drink? Yeah. Right. So for my particular isms, you know, that is uh, it ties into that. Um, but then also like, yeah, the emotional sobriety as a correcting philosophy for nihilism, it, it, it comes back to expectations, right? Is that that's kind of the crux of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's what we see. See, when someone starts to wake up and they come out of their trance, then one of the things they do see is that the expectations they had about how life is going to work mm -hmm. are challenged to the core. I mean, right. they really are. We realize that we've had, you know, most things quite backwards yeah. in our life. And it's a powerful experience. And, and I agree with you, Tom, you know, how can you be objective? Because what we say is the consciousness that caused the problem can't really solve it. Mm -hmm. So You know, you're in that same dilemma. And this is where a new experience that creates new information becomes so important. Yeah. 
And that's it. The key, the key, what you just said in terms of, of the work that we're doing, I can think, I can think about that with, uh, with just day-to-day -day life. I can think about that because, because our, our recent workshop is still on my mind in terms of, of some of the work we did with, with folks there. It's like, always about new experiences you're looking you're look you know we, and we talked about that during the workshop looking for what's missing it's like it's not always like look you know we, we you know we we look for we look for problems we look we, because if you can't you can't solve a problem that you can't define accurately but but we're looking what what i the best teachers i've had have taught me look for what look for what's missing look for those experiences that you can and, and what we do in therapy a lot of times is is um sometimes just cognitively but more more powerfully uh, like we do with our work is experientially give that person uh an experience they haven't had before so that they can feel it they can feel it at, at, at multiple levels in their in their mind in their heart in their body and uh and then and then you let it then then you let it do its work i mean it, what, you know what i've learned and i've learned this as much more from being a, a client in that kind of therapy than anything else is is you got you know a lot of times this is about planting seeds it's not like i have to figure every that's one of the more offensive things for, for my my left brain is is that i don't have i my recovery is not based on everything i have figured out it's 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 based on the willingness to show up you know have, have trust other people to help me with these other experiences and then see what happens next you know, because I think nihilism, if, if we're, 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 you know, if we're, we're really not, if we're not careful at all, you know, the problem with, with the belief that there's no me, if, if I believe there's no meaning, it's like, and I'm living in the present moment, what I got to realize is that means I'm not in touch with meaning right now. You know, and if and, and if I'm coming, if I'm studying philosophy and I'm, I'm I'm changing my mind and saying, OK, well, I don't longer think that the meaning comes from outside. I don't think it comes from a particular religion or or, or political view or anything else. It's like that. I feel like I, I it's up to me to to, you know, to decide and to create and to develop this from the inside out, then it makes sense that a beginning point would be quite nihilistic. It would be, you know, kind of an emptiness to start with right and to the extent when you guys work with clients who have a strong nihilistic urge is there like a common thread for like what what is the thing that's pulled them out of that tailspin you know um it, you said something alan about introducing an experience or there's mm -hmm. some well yeah. that you know i was gonna what i was also gonna talk about for a minute is that you know steps five and six you know in the 12-step program are really powerful, right? Mm -hmm. We're entirely ready to have these character of defects removed and then humbly asked him to remove our defects of character, right? Mm -hmm. So these two steps, and you know, we talked a lot about it when we were going through the steps and how they help achieve emotional sobriety. Step five, Bill really says, become aware of the payoff of the function that your character defect served in your life. Mm -hmm. Yes. So if we followed that, why might somebody adopt a nihilistic approach to life? What could that possibly do for them that would make it an adaptation, right? That would make it something that they would choose to do in order to deal with the pain and anxiety that they were suffering in life. Well, let's think about it for a minute, because if you're nihilistic, it means there's no meaning and that it protects you from being disappointed. 
-hmm. It means in, in an unhealthy way, it doesn't do any good to have any expectations about anything. So it's almost like... Including of yourself. Of yourself, too. It's like yes. the anti... It's like the, the negative universe, right? It's, mm -hmm. like, it's like the anti-emotional sobriety thing about no expectations. But they do it in a way that's not serving you to better function in life. They do it as a way of giving up about life. Yeah. And not ever being disappointed because if life sucks and then you die, then you can't really expect much. I call it staying close to the bottom of the barrel mm -hmm. is if you stay close to the bottom of the barrel, there's not a great distance to fall. It's not going to hurt as much if you just walk around. Oh. Alan, that. that's, that's, that's perfect. I, I did. You just brought back a memory for me. I did a workshop uh, many years ago in which uh, one of the exercises we did to begin with is we ask everybody to to take a physical position, um, take a physical position to represent uh, their life to that point. And, 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 and we, we limited everybody to one sentence to go with that physical position. And this this one man did this. And it, it I mean, it would it, it almost just it just destroyed me, man, because it, it was so much my father and it was so much me when I saw it I just started crying it's like he just laid flat out on the floor and said when it came his time to talk he wait, he, get, he had perfect timing the pause and then he said from here I don't have very far to fall and it's like man I thought fuck I have tried to live my life so often from that place. Now I have not, I did not succeed because I kept having expectations. I kept falling and landing and that stuff, stuff. But that was, that was the attempt to avoid responsibility. Oh, wow. Yes. So that's perfect. We load it low to the bottom, close to the bottom of the barrel. Absolutely. Those polarities between fear and faith, like that's yeah. something I'm still well, that's, uh, that's struggling what we're with. Talking about. See, so, so that's if it. that, if that, see, yeah, Karen Honey called it the attitude of resignation. So she mm -hmm. called nihilism resignation. Mm -hmm. That's the term that she preferred for it. That's the hardest individual to help turn things around with because they don't want to care about anything. Right. They don't want to believe in anything. They don't want to have hopes. They don't want to have expectations. They don't want to get disappointed because disappointing or the disappointing experiences they've had have been so crushing yeah, and so yeah. catastrophic. And so, you know, how do you turn it around? Well, you got to get down to what some of those terribly disappointing experiences have been mm -hmm. and start to understand how come this was the best solution available. Right. And, and the resignation, the word resignation, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up too, because that's one of the things, and I use this a lot, and I've, I've, I've come back to this a lot when I, we talked about Nathaniel Brandon and, and what I hear from Roger on the Thursday night group is, is about, about what, what true acceptance is. is and what I realized to, to somewhere along the line is that I was mistaken. Um, this is where it's so important to get our terms correct for our personally, subjectively, is I was mistaking acceptance for resignation. 
it's like it, it, and it, it had that feel of this is an, an end point it's like and and you know and you know again i don't i don't know i i maybe nathaniel brandon said it first but i i, I always credit it to, to to roger andes because it's his it's his voice in, in my on my committee that says that that ex, ex, change always begins with genuine acceptance you have to have genuine acceptance. You know, if I, you know, I, the simple, simple as this metaphor is, if I want to get someplace, I have to know where that place is. Yeah, that's good. But mostly in that moment, I have to know where I am now. I have to know the truth of it. And it's, it's like, and it's, you know, and this is one of the scary things, you know, and, and we're not, by the way, we're not, we're not preaching or selling, selling the idea, any particular point of view here or belief system, spiritual belief system, or philosophical belief system. It's like, but, but I do want people to know when, when they do start to look more carefully, I've got a client going through that right now where she's done such a beautiful job with her behavioral recovery uh, that, 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 she, that she feels horrible right now because all of, all of that stuff is bubbling up. Everything that she has been avoiding is coming, coming to the surface, and, 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 it's, and it's not polite. It doesn't get in single file. It just starts coming to the, to the surface, and it's like, and the, the challenge of that is, is full acceptance of what that is, that that is, that is this, this really messy, this is really mess, messy uh, collection of things that are going to need to be dealt with but that's not an end point. That's the beginning. I get the sense that um, you guys do not have a lack of meaning of um, inner purpose. And that makes it easy to not coast, you know, off to a nihilistic point of view, because you don't have to go very far to lock in to like, okay, what am I, what am I doing? Who am I helping? You know, it's been, yeah, but it's not, it's not that simple. No, no, I, I cause I was going to say, 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 no, I, I could, I could, I could, I could describe some of those feelings I had this morning. Is I don't have to go very far back. I mean, it's, it's like, I, you know, I have, you know, I deal with whatever, I don't know how much of this is sometimes just some, it's, it's hard to know exactly how much this is my brain chemistry and how much of it is, is, you know, the, the psychological work I'm still in the process of doing, but, but, you know, my experience, and I've mentioned this here before, before that my, you know, people's, my depression uh, or thought processes that I associate with depression and, and which have a lot to do with, with disconnect from meaning and things like that uh, is, is most often harder in the morning for me and it's like like no i it's so this morning you know no i don't have any trouble i remember what i do for a living i remember what we do i remember our relationships i know that i am loved and all this other stuff but at a deeper level there are times where it, it, I, I still absolutely experience that you know <sighs> it's funny i asked you guys that question and you guys both recoiled as if I uh, <laughs> caught you with the super soaker. This is what this is why we need the video. We need the video because because that's that probably is the best part of this to to, to watch people where they respond. It's like yeah, because I'm going like no. This <laughs> well, I'll tell you this, Patrick. When my dad died when I was 11, that what rocketed me into nihilism because I really, I, at that point in time, I just felt forsaken. Yep. I mean, I felt betrayed by God. I felt betrayed by my mother, my grandfather. You know, nobody ever asked me how I felt. Nobody in society. And I mean, in my social network, like the teachers, they all knew my father died. Do you think any one of them ever called me aside to talk to me about it? Mm -hmm. No, not one, not one person. 
So here I am at 11 years old dealing with, you know, you know, my hero, you know, the loss of my hero, my dad. And he was that kind of dad. He was an amazing guy. I looked up to him for so many different reasons. Bronze star recipient from World War II, you know, loved to hang out with his kids on the weekend, took us to museums, you know, Lincoln Park Zoo. I mean, went tobogganing with us in the wintertime and we'd go in the morning and we'd come home frozen at night. We just hung out all day long, you know, and, and, and mom had that wonderful cup of hot chocolate waiting. I mean, <laughs> life was good, man. Life was good. And then all of a sudden, bam, tomb, you know, it was turned upside down. And at that point I became quite nihilistic. I was depressed. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been able to tell you that depression yeah. in, in, in children shows up very different than it does in adults. I was acting out all over the place. I was angry. I started drinking at that point in time. I dropped out of school. I didn't see any future. You know, I joined the Marine Corps because why not? I mean, I thought at least I could go do that, you know, and, and listen, a guy that doesn't swim joins an amphibious fighting force not a good idea <laughs> i was the only marine that that failed in drown proofing in, in boot camp and they still you know put the uh oh that's right you you you, you yeah you don't float do you i don't float <laughs> i sink for some reason I burger sink. sinks that's what I, I remember you talking about they still that. put the globe and anchor on me you know when when i finished boot camp even though i failed drown proofing John Tritter said, all right, well, if the boat goes down, Burger, you're dead. That's not, I mean, that was the conclusion. So, so that didn't stop that, 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 that didn't factor into your brilliant choice at the time. Yeah, I guess. Obviously, it wasn't a well thought out choice. I mean, I don't know, you know, Army would have been fine, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, but somehow I had to be a Marine, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of a thing, because, mm -hmm. you know, I was looking for something to do to feel good about myself. But I, I wasn't even that optimistic I would finish. I mean, when I finished, I never felt like I finished. Even though I, I got the globe and anchor, I felt like mm -hmm. I, I faked my way through this. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can fake your way through boot camp, by the way. I'm not yeah. so sure that's a possibility because these guys keep a pretty close eye on you. No, but, but that's that's a that's a really that's a really good measure of, of for anybody who, who you know, because people do that all the time. People who have, have accomplished amazing things when they have these 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 mean bully should monsters in their heads. It's like the facts don't matter. It's like, yeah, the idea that, yeah, it's like, how do you, how, how do you, how do you, you know, I get it that there are some few classes in my life that I bullshitted my way through. I'm pretty sure you don't bullshit your way through boot camp in, as a Marine. Don't do that. It's <laughs> but see, I think now when I'm talking to you guys about it, I think it's 17 when I joined, there was a part of me looking for meaning. Yeah. I had lost it. And through all that pain and stuff, you know, there's a few times I dropped some acid and it seemed like it, it showed me that there's a, a universe beyond the one that I was operating in, or at least a reality beyond the one I was operating in. Maybe that went into, you know, challenging the nihilism in some unconscious way, quite possible. So I think when I joined the Marine Corps, I was looking to do something that would give meaning in my life. And it eventually led that way, not because yeah. You know, because I got, I ended up going into recovery because of the Marine Corps, because of coming back from Vietnam with a drug problem. I mean, all these other things happened, 
But I think that there was, and this is this is important. Tom said it a minute ago. We advocate all the time of thinking about, you know, our personality consisting of, or our person consisting of a whole bunch of different parts, mm -hmm. right? That theory that you're just one self mm -hmm. is doesn't make sense. We're multiple selves. Mm -hmm. And my nihilistic self really came to the foreground with that experience with my dad. Now, that's not all that I was. There was another part of me that was looking for meaning. My dad had found a lot of meaning in his life. Yeah. And I could see that he was a man that lived his life with meaning. So maybe there was a part of me that would identified with him and said, maybe if he found it, I could too. Well, but that's a, that's a really good point, Alan, because you were 11, right? When he died. Yeah. Yeah, 11 years old, you know, it's, I mean, boy, I mean, I've seen this from other people. I've experienced it myself. It's like, it's not, it's, it's not just the didactic, it's not just the didactic stuff you get from your, from your parents. You absorb your parents, you know, yeah. the good and the bad, the, the, you know, the, 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 the healthy and the sick. It's like, like, um, uh, Sheldon Cop, you know, uh, the, the author of, uh, among other things, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him, uh, it would say, uh, if for those of you who worry that your parents are inside of you, relax, they are. You know, and it's like it's and and that's I mean, so I just now occurred to me, I've heard you talk about your father so so much. And now I talk about you're seeking yourself that the, that part of you that continue to seek is, yeah, your dad, you had had 11 years with your dad. You absorbed you. He, he, he whether whether he was identified as such, you didn't even know you wouldn't be identifying it with our language today. But it's like he was on your committee. He was yeah. in there. Well, what you're what we're talking about is you you took actions to satisfy that yearning for meaning rather than actions to right. So all I'm saying, okay. a lot of that yeah. stuff at that point was unconscious. But you yeah. know, if if you've if you you know have heard me talk about this stuff, you know, you know that I totally believe that we have a very powerful force that keeps moving us towards our growth and development to actualize what's possible right? To move us towards wholeness. Mm -hmm. Well, part of that wholeness is finding meaning in life. You know, that, you know, Dr. Viktor Frankl made his whole therapy, logotherapy was about helping people find meaning in their life and purpose in their life. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how central and important an experience it is in life. As Gestalt therapists, we know that we are meaning generators, we look at a situation and we look at it and, and see what it means to us, right? Our perception is to, to, you know, project a lot of meaning into this world. And we're constantly, you know, doing that. So all these forces, I think, are inside of us. But we can go off on that, on that tangent that I went off on for a long time, Patrick. That's why I kind of, like with Tom, we both kind of jerked back. <laughs> because I have a nihilistic self. It's a lot less powerful and a lot less as an essential part of my person today, but it's still in there. Just like Tom was saying that yeah, his yeah. is still in there too. Mm -hmm. I think I have, I still have an unrealistic um, fantasy about uh, 
well, you know, can I just make a decision <laughs> and then just like, you know, uh, put a pin in, you know, the uh, evolution or de-evolution of the things I care about and the way, the way I'm organizing my life. Like, okay, I've decided that I'm sober. I've decided that I'm an optimist. I've decided, you know, but these things but are you, challenged but every you can, day. But you can, Patrick. It's, it's like, see, that's the thing. When you think about, I often call that that part of us, that one in the, the one in charge is the decision maker. Um, I think I named him that in the self-forgiveness handbook. It's like the decision maker is yeah but the other go back to the acceptance but the other thing we accept along with that is those other parts have not gone away they're all going to still be talking milling around in the back they're going to be occasionally trying to elbow us upside the head and carjack you know carjack us and stuff like that so then no the daily that's where it gets to that daily practice the whole thing we were talking about over the weekend workshop of, of just you know a, con, a concept is useless uh, or even dangerous if it's not translated to 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 practice and so yeah it's, because i mean the truth is you have you know and i tell people that you know i you know i say now look i don't want to piss anybody off in, in aa but i'm going like you know if you say you know if, if, if you think if, if, if i don't just not drink one day at a time you know it's like i have i call it a policy decision you know now it's a policy my policy decision is i don't drink and I'm not, and I have no intention of drinking and I have every intention of not drinking for the rest of my life. Now, now, now I have heard, I've seen people from AA recoil when I say that, but, but, I'm, but I'm not, but it, it goes with one day at a time, one day at a time, I reinforce that one day at a time I do that because the, the alternate version of that is, is I, I can't even imagine what my life would be like if I did that, if I redecided every single day, whether I was going to drink or not, I mean, Oh God, I mean, I'm sure I wouldn't be sitting here with you guys right now, whether I would still be alive. I have no idea, but, but it's like, no, it's so you do, and I, you know, I have decided the things that I value, the, the idea, the things that matter to me, the, the, you know, uh, the, get, get up and practice my emotional sobriety every single day, that kind of stuff. Those decisions are solid. What we, what you, what you have to add to that, in my opinion, is you just accept the fact that these other guys are going to be milling around and, and, and they, you know, those other parts of you have not necessarily made those same decisions, but they're not in charge. Yeah. You know, Alan's nihilist is not in charge. You know, my depression, not in charge. Right. You know, really doesn't even, it doesn't even really have a vote anymore. You know, but he, but he, but he, but he, you know, I can't shut him up. Yeah. The, the Jack Trimpey, who's a social worker, mm -hmm. he has this other approach. He calls it the rational approach to, to recovery. Right. Yeah. 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 And, you know, he, he calls that the big decision. Yeah. Instead of the little decision is 24 hours a day. He says that if you're gonna if you're gonna beat the beast, that's what he calls alcoholism. Mm -hmm, the beast. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You have to make the big decision. You have to say, "I'm not that's drinking it. the rest of my life." Now, I like how you've combined both of those mm -hmm. into, mm -hmm. "I'm not going to drink the rest of my life." Every day, I'm going to recommit myself to Absolutely. that process. Yeah, but I know that that's not a part of the deal for me. Anymore. Right. That's the, that's where I call it the policy decision. Yeah. Well, then, you know, I the like name of the, the name decision. of the, the name of the book, you and I have looked, have passed it back and forth and around and I still haven't, haven't published it yet, but, but it's called the recovery decision. It's based on that stuff. And it's now. like, we, we need to get that out sometime. It's yeah. like, it's yeah. like, because, because that's what it is. And I, I thank you because I'd never thought about that then in terms of combining both of those, but it's like, uh, but it really, you know, it, it's, 
it's so let, much less stressful to have that big decision that Trippy's calling it and the, pol- the, the policy decision because that, he's great. He gets criticized yeah. a lot because of his criticism of AA. Mm-hmm. He says, I don't know if we need to call this thing a disease or not. He says, but we do need to talk to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and I, and I, you know, it's, well, I, 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 this, this is convoluted, but I, I, I get, I get in, I, I will be critical of people who criticize AA because most of the people I hear t- criticize AA apparently haven't been in AA meetings very much because, because right. their criticisms are so off. That's you right. Know, you know, exactly. the, one of the main criticisms I hear people say is, like, oh, I don't go to AA. They just make excuses for people. I'm going like, Oh my God, you've never been to an AA meeting. It's like, yeah, that, that time I watched your facial expression, Patrick, when I said, when I said that about, no, they, I mean, very, they're going to, AA airs in the other direction. They won't let me off the hook when I should probably be let off the hook. I, I wasn't looking. What did my face do? It was, it was just sort of, it was a recoil. Exactly what, what you said. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, but I, I agree with you hundred mm, yeah. percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to say the, uh, the tragedy of people who lose the fight with nihilism and take their own life. I mean, I suppose it's horrible. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's, it, it's, it's our signal to us to never let our guard down and to take that shit seriously because it's like the deepest yep. Yep. cut in the world. Right. It's exactly the, if you have, if, if you have that, if you have that to be or not to be part of your committee. And, it's, and this is one of the things I really have, uh, I do believe that people either seem to have that on your, you ever either have a suicidal guy on your committee or you don't. Cause I've talked to people who have, have, have stories that, that, you know, in terms of pain and suffering and, and dwarf mine. And, and you ask, you can ask them, have you ever thought about uh, ending your life? And they'll look at you like talk about recoil. They'll go like, what? No way. You know? And it's like, I don't, you know, they're just different from me, but those of us who have it, it's, it's just there. It's just like, so any of those, that's what we always want people to know. Any of these guys that we, we discover along the way. And, and, you know, we're not trying to, we're not making anybody crazier than they are where well, these are not real guys. These are metaphors, but it's, it's like, if you have that, if you have that guy who's eyeing the back door and thinking, I can always, I, I always have that, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't think for most of us, he ever goes away. It's like, and so you, just like I say about my alcoholism, I don't want to live in paranoid fear of it, but I never want to be without appropriate caution. Same thing goes for my depression. The same thing goes for my nihilism. It's like, like, because is it, you know, is it, is it likely that I would ever, ever, you know, be lost and, and, and isolated? That's the, that's the killer right there. Isolation, isolated enough to where I, I could take my own life. It's like, I, I can't imagine that at this point in, in where in my process and where I am right now, but is it possible? This is what my humility tells me. Yeah. I would never rule out that as a possibility. And I need to be aware that that's not a negative thought. That's, that's, that's an intelligent thought. Right on. Now, the final thing I want to say before we wrap up our show tonight is I believe, and I strongly believe this, that emotional sobriety is your antidote to nihilism. Yes. Because emotional sobriety teaches us how to cope with disappointment. Mm -hmm. It teaches us how to have meaning in life that doesn't, that I, I love what Herb Kagan said about this. And, and I hear it now, you know, being resonated by a lot of other therapists is that emotional sobriety gets you aligned to life, gets you aligned to reality. 
So there's a lot fewer disappointments. There's a lot fewer disappointments coming out of this shouldn't be the case. This isn't supposed to happen because we get rid of the supposed tos and the shoulds. Yep. So now when it happens, this is happening. A lot of times I don't like it. I can still be disappointed, but now I don't let the disappointment define me. Yes. I let how I deal with it define me. And have I found now, if I have a good cry about it, you know, if I talk about it, like to Tom, you know, I've gone through some disappointments in the <laughs> last couple of years that he knows about, <laughs> you know, with, the, um, you know, well, I don't want to go into details right now about it all, but I turned to Tom and I talked to him mm-hmm. about it and I processed it with it. Mm-hmm. And, and I was disappointment, disappointed. And out of that disappointment emerged an opportunity. But it was because I embraced the disappointment and dealt with it and got back to my center. What was yes. important to me? What was my value? What yes. did I want to do? What, what was I committed to? And it helped me find myself again, that disappointment. So, you know, I just want to leave people with some hope. Mm. If you're out there struggling, like Tom was saying before, emotional sobriety is your antidote. If you start to practice some of the things that Bill recommended to us that we've been elaborating on, I think that we've extended the discussion, I hope in some good ways, Mm -hmm. that you're going to find that you can make this life work in a very different way than you imagined. Yes. It's not going to look like you, like it looked earlier on in life. Mine doesn't at all, Patrick, you know, it doesn't fulfill these, some of the expectations, ideas I had about where I'd be at, but I wouldn't change a thing about it. You know, the weekend we, we had together, you guys, that, you know, I get goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah, that was yeah, golden yeah. to me. That's what I live for. Those experiences, those relationships, sharing time with you guys like that, sharing time like here. I mean, it was even so wonderful to do it live and have you guys around and hang out and spend that time together and laugh together and all the things we did, break food together. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like we were family for a weekend. It was wonderful. We did the chicken bop too. You guys did the chicken bop with Cece. Me me, me and Cece, we did the second bop. Again and again and again and again and again. And I love, I loved Maddie's look on her face when you did that magic trick for her. <laughs> That's what magic does. Kid, that yeah. kid really registers you. Oh my, how did he do that? What happened? <laughs> well, with that, I want to, I want to point out that that, that the, the one where you had your hand on the card, you had the exact same face, by the way. I it's did. like... <laughs> I still have a kid inside me. That's true. That's a good thing. You want to be entertained. I love it. Well, good show again, you guys. And look forward to next week. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to walk on on the the, the final point you made. Emotional sobriety is the antidote to nihilism. Because what it does, it keeps us moving. Keeps us going to the next thing. I love that. Well put. Wonderful. Until next week. Thanks so much, guys. Peace. Tinge your life. Tinge your myth. Cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with. Then we glass in hand and children on one knee. Bring some stories. Bring your stories back to me. It ain't a crime to be a human. Never be ashamed to be yourself. Rest assured that whatever you're doing, 
entertain me like nobody else So here's to us, my old friends Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children on one knee Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me Thank you.